So if you have your copy of God's Word, let's go to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6. We're going to spend our time uh, together this, this morning. Um, let me tell you, let me tell you what you can't do in four weeks, okay? You cannot do the book of Romans. There is too much there. And so, so we're going to try to fill in the gaps as we, uh, as we do this together, but there's too much. I can't preach it all, all right? There's not enough time. You don't have enough patience for it, all right? There is a lot there. We could spend a year and a half in Romans uh, and dissecting it and because there is so much encouragement, there's so much good stuff that comes from it. And quite honestly, where, where this church is, where, Fruit, where, uh, where Fort Caroline Baptist Church is um, uh, today, where y'all are living, y'all are, y'all are in a place where, quite honestly, what, Rome, what Paul wrote to the church at Rome is applicable for you. You're in a time of uncertainty. You're, you're kind of waiting to see what's next. You're trying to figure out if you're going to stay at Fort Caroline, if, if, you, even, if you even like the interim guy. All right, here's my, my encouragement to you. Do not base whatever decision you make about the next several months or about your, your church membership on me, okay? All right, I, I can cause a mass exodus with some of the stuff that I say, all right? If you don't believe me, just ask my, my wife. She knows. Let me tell you. The counsel of God's word is always an encouragement to us. It should be. Sometimes it convicts us when we, we read stuff and we read some of the things that Paul says. It can be kind of hardcore. You know, he, he gets into, into, this, into these moods. That's why I like the Apostle Paul. Uh, I don't know if you've read a whole lot of Paul's epistles, but they are very, um, there is this underlying sarcasm. I, I, you know, sarcasm is how I hug. All right, some, some of y'all, you know, you know, are just very humorous and very fun people. I, I, I generally am, am self-deprecating in nature. All right, if I do that to you, that is not me making fun of you. That's just me. That's how I love you, okay? But some of the things that Paul has to say are going to cut to the quick. Because the purpose for us when we read the scriptures is not to confirm what a wonderful person we are. It is to Remind us what a loving and wonderful God he is. And so regardless of our circumstances, regardless of where we're living, regardless of what you've walked through today, this week, the last month, when you walk into these rooms, your circumstances do not define your joy. The person in the work of Jesus Christ defines your joy. And so Paul's writing to a church, and if you weren't here last week, it was 4th of July, I get it. Uh, I can see by all the full seats in here that, that many of you were at the beach, you were uh, out doing something else. I totally get it, there's no shame in that. But you missed our introductions. We, we looked at why Paul wrote to the Romans, and he wrote to them as a reminder. It was, because remember, they were, this little house church was in, the, it was in Caesar's backyard, and he did not take too kindly to people worshiping a God that was not him. And so Paul wrote to them, even under the immense persecution that they were living in, Paul wrote to them to remind them not only what they are to believe, but why they're to believe it. It would be, it would be too cheap and too easy for me to stand up here every Sunday and to tell you that you need to worship the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And, and if I were to tell, say that, I would be totally theologically accurate because Jesus Christ is the, the only one whose name is worthy to be praised. But Paul wanted the church at Rome to know why he was worth believing why he was worth trusting, why he was worth living for, and why, if necessary, he would be worth dying for. 
And we, what we get out of this letter is a deeply doctrinal book that we use, even to this day, 2,000 years later, we use to this day to define how we do ecclesiology, how, how we do church, how we work out our soteriology, how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so Paul uses four what we call biblical Asians, okay? If you missed this last week, there are four big churchy words that he uses uh, that, that, uh, that are, are just, quite honestly, we, sometimes we gloss over them because we don't necessarily know uh, what they mean. And so we talked about the four biblical Asians. I just want to run over them with you with a little bit different uh, spin on them today. Number one is, is the doctrine of justification. You are literally found not guilty. Because Jesus went to the cross for your sin, you are literally found, when you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, it is, it is like God saying you are, you are not guilty of your sin. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. There's also sanctification. Once you are saved, there, there should be a change within you. By the way, when you get saved, there should be a change within you. You're not who you once were. You've been bought with a price. That price was the blood of Christ. There should be an intrinsic change. Does that mean you're going to be perfect all the time? No, no, no. You're still going to drive in traffic. You're still going to have to deal with your in-laws. All right? You're still going to have to deal with a boss you don't like. Some of you in-laws in the room are like, I am not coming back. He spoke poorly about in-laws. All right, I love my in-laws. Once you have been justified in Christ, then you are to be sanctified in the Spirit. Literally, the process of you becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That won't happen in totality on this side of heaven. But you have not only been saved from the penalty of sin, now in, in, uh, in sanctification, you've been saved from the power of sin. You no longer have to, to walk that road of, of your sinful nature. You are being conformed into the likeness of Christ a little bit more every day. Then finally, when the process of sanctification works out, you see Jesus face to face. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The process of glorification, the doctrine of glorification, when we are truly conformed into his likeness, Genesis 1, 26 and 7 lived out. You are, that, that, that God made us in his image. In his image, we, we were created. And that which sin corrupted, everything has been put back into place. You have been Saved from the presence of sin. Sin will no longer have an effect on your life. But there's the propitiation. Jesus taking, making that big exchange with us. He took our sin. He gave us, imputed upon us his righteousness that we don't deserve, we're not good enough for, you won't be good enough. Remember last week, for those of you that were here, what is the one big encouragement I gave you? You are not a good person but Christ is good in your stead. He makes you righteous. When he clothes you, he takes the old ragged, ugly clothes. When he went to that old rugged cross and he, he clothes you in his righteousness so that what is true about him can now be true about you. The propitiation, you have been saved from the prominence of sin for his glory and for your good. All right, we're already running out of time this morning because I tend to do long introductions because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. And so as we walk this road together, I want us to look at two things. We're going to do the entire chapter today of chapter six. The problem is, is you can't understand chapter six until you understand chapter five. 
All right, that's going to be the problem with this, with this series. So we're going to be here for a little while, all right? Y'all really got to lighten up. Like, I know you think I can't see you. Well, I can see like the first three or four rows. Y'all, y'all got to smile a little bit. It's going to be okay, I promise. You're like, he's going to do two chapters. Yeah, maybe a little bit, all right? But we have to, because the, the first verse of chapter six starts off with a question. He says, what shall we say then? Well, what about? He, he says, because of, of, of what we've read, what, what, who cares? So what do, what do we do now? So if we start off by asking the question, we're not going to know what it's about. Chapter five is all about that you and I were born into sin, right? That's the sin nature, all right? So this is where in, in chapter three, verse 10, where, where Paul says that no one is righteous, not even one. This is where it comes from. Why? Because everybody, all of us, no one is worthy of God. Nobody is worthy of heaven. Nobody gets it right. And Paul says in, in chapter five that we have been born into death. We've been born into the likeness of Adam. So what we find in chapter six is that we're going to find a, a lesson in Christian doctrine. We're going we're to dig a little bit deeper than we normally would on a Sunday morning. And we're going to look at the doctrine behind it because church, you have all, and I'm with you, we have been born into the likeness of Adam, created in the image of God. But because of Adam and Eve, and really, honestly, it was Eve. Hey, hey, get mad. Get mad if you want to. Read the book. Genesis 3, it's all in there, okay? Because Adam and Eve sinned, we are now born into the likeness of Adam. Created his image, born into sin. But, and I'm telling you, the, the greatest word, it's a word you're not allowed to say in church. It's the word but, but it's with only one T, okay? But God... God saw all of the broken, all of the hurting, all of, the, all of the, the mess that our lives are. And here you are, you're sitting, you're thinking about the mess in your life. You're thinking about the, about the relationships you've messed up, the things that you've said, the people that you've hurt. God could never love me. Yet because of Christ, though we were born into the sin nature of Adam, we have been, believers in Christ have been reborn into the, the righteousness imputed to us by Christ. Now, we're ready for chapter six. What shall we say then, verse one? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He goes, by no means. That's a very proper way in the Greek of saying, no, no. So do we, is, 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 is grace for us, is that a license to sin? No. Why? Because something's changed. Remember, when you're justified in Christ, there should be a change in your behavior from that moment forward. You don't want to sin. You don't want to do the dumb stuff. 17th century um, English theologian, his name is John Owen, uh, one of the reformers, he said this. He, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I don't know how you spent the 4th of July. I don't know. And, and you know, for us, we grilled out. We uh, hung out with family. It was, a, it, it was a great day. I don't know if you laid in the... You may have laid in your backyard. It was, when it wasn't raining, it was a beautiful day. All right? I don't know if you laid in the backyard eating a banana, swinging in your hammock. I don't know what that looked like. All right? I, don't, I don't know why I picked those things. But, but maybe you just... You, regardless of how you, you spent the day... There is a sin nature inside of us. 
We, there is a one, when we wake up, the moment that we, our feet hit the floor, right? Even Paul said, said, I do the things I don't want to do. I think the things I, I don't want to think, yet I do it anyway. Why? Because, because regardless of how you spend your day, from the moment your feet hit the ground to the moment you go to bed, we are constantly at war with our nature. And until we see Jesus face to face, we will be at that war. So what does Paul say? Paul says, says a couple things in this particular passage. First is that we need to put to death that which first killed us. We have to put to death that which first killed us. So if we've been saved from sin, how is it even possible that we, have been, that we can still live in sin? Well, church, here's how salvation works. We have, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and I use that word we, if you walked in here today and you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, I don't mean to exclude you, but the gospel does exclude you. That, that you have not trusted Jesus as Savior. Therefore, you are not covered under the blood of Christ until the moment you trust him as Savior. So you're going to walk out of here in a few minutes with a choice to make. So while believer, we have been saved from the consequences of sin, the eternal consequences of sin, we still live in a broken world. The temptation for us to sin is still there, as are the consequences that come with it. So Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said this to his disciples. He said, if any of you, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if any of you would be my disciple, let him deny himself or literally die to himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Folks, the temptation for us to sin is simply too high to try to suppress it, to try to, to, to deal with the, indwelling, the, very, in the, uh, with the very sin nature we have on our own. Sin is too much fun for us to deal with. If given the opportunity to choose, we will choose sin every time. But when we were indwelled with the Spirit of God, we were not given a, a spirit of fear but of self-control and a sound mind. Church, we literally have to mortify our sin. That's what um, we read in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 13. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The King James literally uh, um, renders that, the Greek there, that put to death as mortify. You have, literally, we have to make a choice every day to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, to kill the fleshly desires that we have. You don't get to just get up and, and say, well, I hope I do everything right today. You're not capable of that. But the spirit within you is greater than the spirit outside of you. The spirit that wants to drag you down that, that path of sinfulness. Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This constant renewal that we see is what sanctification is. Last week we looked at justification. This week is all about sanctification. Our, the consequences of our eternal sin have been dealt with. But as we walk this road of faith until the day we see Jesus face to face, we have to make the choice to live for him. We are justified in Christ when we accept his gift of grace. Right? That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But 
the Bible says we are constantly being renewed. So salvation has a one-time effect on our lives, but salvation is also continual and that we are constantly being renewed. We are constantly being saved. The process of salvation happens every single day. We are constantly being renewed in the person and in the work of Christ. So Paul says, is grace a license to sin? No, it's not. He says, do you, do you, uh, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were also baptized into his death? This, this baptism isn't the water baptism uh, that, that we're going to be experiencing on July 31st together out at the beach. This is what it looks like when we die to ourselves. It's, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our sinfulness when, we are die, when, we're, when we're killed in our sin but we're raised to walk in newness of life. When a believer, when we, church, when we are baptized into Christ, we're also immersed into his death. Just as Jesus died for our sins, we make a choice to die to our sin. We don't allow it to have that effect on our lives. And so look at verse five. He says, for, for if, let's look at verse 4 too. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him into a resurrection like his. What a picture of what our end-time bodily resurrection is going to look like. Look at what he says. He uses the future tense there. He says, we shall certainly be united. It hasn't happened yet. But Paul knows it's going to happen. It's what, church, we get to look forward to. That one day we are going to see Jesus face to face because we died with him to our sin. We will be raised in the resurrection with him. That's the beauty of Jesus. He has spared no expense to make sure that every aspect of your salvation has been purchased. But we have to make the conscious decision every day that we're going to die to our sin. So not only do we have to kill that which first killed us, we know that we've been crucified with Christ, that we might also live with him. Look at verses 6 through 10. Right, so, so verse one, right? That death for us is not a, should lead us to a different, what we call in Clay County, the want to. We don't want to sin as much anymore. We don't want to do the things that draw us further away from God. When, when we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, that we should have a desire, a, a want to, not to work for our salvation. That's the difference in Christianity and every other religion. In every other religion, there is a works-based, guilt-based thing. There is something you can do to earn God's favor. Christianity is the only one that says God's done all the work. We just got to trust. We trust in him. Tim Keller says, when we believe, we are united to Christ so that whatever is true of him is now legally true of us. So since Christ died... And dead people are freed from sin. So we are also freed from our sin. What does that mean? Look at verses 5 and look at verse 6. He says, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul, in verse 6, Paul uses two what I call that statements. 
We were crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Church, that's what sin is. It is slavery. But Christ purchased us out of that. So we don't have to live with what comes with it. Dr. Thomas Schreiner said it best. He said, justification cannot be separated from sanctification. Only those who have died with Christ are righteous and thereby enabled to conquer the mastery of sin. Our justification in Christ qualifies us to be conformed into his likeness. I got, sometimes I got to put things, there's a lot of Asians, a lot of big words. I, sometimes I got to put it in, um, in, in terms I can understand. Hold on one second. I don't know what, what you like to do for a living. I play golf. Woohoo! First amen I get, and it's about golf. All right. So this is my golf bag, all right? This is Bob the Buffalo. He has been my head cover for a long time. Um, I love to play golf. And, you know, I can go out and I can play, whether it was, um, uh, you know, Northampton or I played TPC Sawgrass a few months ago. Um, I go out and, and you generally you play your own ball. Some of y'all know what this is. You shoot 120. It's not nearly as much fun as you hoped it would be, but you hit just a good enough shots that it brings you back, right? I love playing Captain's Choice events. I grew up playing golf, got my first set of golf clubs when I was five, uh, and have, have just kind of worked my way up. I worked in golf retail while I was in seminary, and so I try to get out and play golf as often as I can, which isn't as often as it used to be, but it is what it is. I love to play Captain's Choice events. And, and you may think, what, what are Captain's Choice? So Captain's Choice is when you have a team of four, and basically this, this is what makes the tournaments go faster, because a lot of corporate guys who don't know which end to hold the golf club with, and so they, they, want, they want your money, and so they make it really easy for you to, to play, therefore you will want to come play more often, spend more money with them. All right, and so what they do is they allow the foursome that is playing together to each hit their own shot, and then they get to choose which of the four shots, because out of four people, somebody just might hit the ball straight, okay? And, and, so, um, and so I love Captain's Choice events because you know what it means? I don't have to be on my A game. I don't have to take my, not how I usually do, but I mean, I'm just kidding. I, that's not humble. Okay. Um, you know, I don't always take my A game to, to the golf course with me. I'm not, I'm not always good. Like some days you're just off. I'm a terrible putter. That, doesn't, that usually doesn't change. All right? But the beauty is, is that somebody on the team could pick me up. I was invited to play in a corporate scramble with a bunch of guys who are, who are scratch golfers. That means they are like almost professional level. I was the worst player on the team. And I played out of my mind that day. I mean, I played, I hit every shot. I hit everything the way I wanted to and was still by far the worst player on the team. And so here we are. And, and I am, I'm, you know, we're, we're swinging the sticks, we're draining putts, we're going to win the whole thing. And we get to the end of the round, 18 holes, and we're sitting there, and I'm looking back on the 18 holes, and I start to ask myself, how did I contribute to this? You know what? Over 60 shots that we took, we, we scored 60 that day, which is about 12 under. Out of the 60 shots that we took, I didn't contribute to one of them. Four guys on the team, and I didn't contribute a bit. This is what it looks like for us. 
The very best that you have to offer God is not enough. The very best you can do, you can live out of your mind. You didn't cuss at anybody in traffic. You didn't yell at your boss. You didn't lock their kids in, in their room. You showed grace. And you may think you get to the end of the day and go, I did this pretty good. And you still missed it. Because at the end of the day, none of that is good enough to earn God's favor. The very best you can do, and you don't contribute to your salvation a bit. It's all Jesus. But you know the beauty of, in, in Captain's Choice, that day, we, the team I was with, I didn't contribute a bit, and we won. Which means I got to get all the spoils that the team got. And church, that's what we do. We are in this ride with Christ. He is doing all the heavy lifting. He is doing all of the work. And what we do is we trust in faith that he's enough. So we've seen the lesson in Christian doctrine, but we also have to apply to it. What good is, is the knowledge if we don't apply it? Well, first, we see three imperative commands, three commands that Paul gives us through the Greek in this passage as we look at the rest of the, of the chapter. First, we, in verse 11, we see that we have to live as though sin has been defeated. Look at verse 11. He says, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That, that word consider is the Greek word logizomai, where we get our word logic or logical. For some of y'all, it, it may, may say that you must reckon yourselves. You ever, you, country folk in the room, have you ever said, someone said, said, well, you ready to go to dinner? I reckon. You know. You know what that means, to reckon? I mean, usually it means, yeah, let's go. But it means that you've weighed the options, and it seems like the most logical step. For me, that is, and when it comes to food, that's normal. Patrick, you ready for lunch? I reckon. Until we have to, until we reckon that our old life ended at the moment we, are, we were saved, the process of sanctification cannot and will not move forward. It is that knowledge that changes how we live our lives. So we live in the light of our new identity. Now you no longer date for the, for the, the process of dating. You, you, don't, uh, you don't take a job for the process of, of making money. You do all of these things, the, the decisions you make, how you raise your kids, where you're going to live, where you're gonna to go to church, is all a matter of what brings God the glory. How can I decrease? How can he increase? We live as though sin has been defeated, church, because it is. But we also live as though our lives are not our own. Verses 12 through 19, we're gonna skim over it today. Verses 12 and 13, Paul reminds us that we take on the new name, the new person. He says, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. He promises us in verse 14 that if we do so, sin will have no dominion. The addiction, the chains, the slavery to the things of this world will pass away because our focus becomes Christ. That others might know him. 
That we might reflect the risen Christ and not the brokenness of ourselves. And so verses 15 through 19 build on verses 12 through 14's foundation. So the question becomes, do we get to sin? Paul asks this in verse 1. Do we get to sin because grace abounds in us? No! But, church, when we sin, to use a football analogy, because I love football, when we sin, that sin does not outkick the coverage that grace provides. Oh man, I lost my mic. So grace isn't merely a gift. It's power. It transforms. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said, you will receive dunamis. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. What does that power do? It is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. It's yours. You don't have to live in your sin. You live in Christ for his glory. And for our good. Just like the Israelites were set free from their bondage in Egypt. Church, we've been set free from our sin that we might fulfill the great plans the Lord has for each of us. And for Fort Caroline. Finally, verses 20 through 23. We're to live as though Jesus is enough. Verse 21. Slaves of sin produce shame and death. He says, Where, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? That fruit's rotten. It's nasty. It's moldy. It's full of maggots. Now you eat from the tree of life. It's a greater fruit. The single act of taking on Jesus means when he took our place on Calvary's cross, it changed the fruit we produce. Now our fruit is no longer sin and death. It is righteousness and eternal life for his glory, for our good. Verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But, there's that word again. The wages of sin is death. Oh, but I'm so glad Jesus stepped in. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be thinking, Patrick, I've never experienced that gift. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I can't contribute. You're right, you can't. But you still get to enjoy the fruit of Jesus' finished work on Calvary's cross. You're going to be tempted to get up and walk out if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior. Pastor Matt's going to be standing back in the next steps area. They're going to have counselors that are going to be back there. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, be late to life groups today. Talk to Matt. I'll be standing down front. Come find me. Let's talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you already are a follower of Jesus, live like it. Live in light of eternity. Live like your sin has been defeated. Live like where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Live with the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Let's pray today. Father, we love you and we honor you. 
as we leave this place today. Father, may we go knowing that you are enough, knowing that your grace is greater than our sin, knowing that, that the, the power that we have in eternal life is enough that not only saves us, but it keeps us. Father, if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you as Savior, God, may they not walk out these doors today until they've reckoned the choice of salvation. Father, go with us now. God, as we've been the church in here, may we go and leave these walls and be the church out there. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.